All right, we are back. I'm Janine. This is Get the Funk Out. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. Hope your Monday's off to a great start. Uh, to kick off the second half of the show, I have Carla Rachel Samath. She's author of One Day on the Gold Line. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you for calling in. I was so intrigued by your book. I'm glad we could make this happen. It's great to be on the show. Thank you so much. Oh, my pleasure. So, Give me an idea of your your backstory. First, as a writer, how, how when did you first start writing? Oh my goodness! I first started writing when I was very young. Actually, my mom used to get up to type stories that I made up <laughs> with a little before when I was pre uh, pre writing. Um, and then I I think you know I had originally planned to study creative writing when I went to to college, but I got very I kind of shifted focus to doing a lot of work around um, social change and political economy and, uh, of course, did a lot of writing, but the creative writing kind of took a back burner for a while. And then I came back to it um, in my 20s and really started writing heavily when I was trying to have a child. And as my son um, got older, I squeezed it in in the wee hours in the morning. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I get that. It's, you know, yeah. writing is so healing, cathartic. It's, um, has it been that way for you? It really has. I mean, at times it can also be trauma-inducing. Uh, so, for instance, when, um, when I was editing my memoir, that although it has a lot of humorous parts, also has some very difficult parts to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I always like to say, you probably heard this, that writing isn't therapy, but it can be, as you said, it can be cathartic, right? It can yes. help you... Um, really um, get clarity on a lot. Um, yes. And uh, so, yeah, I, I, it's funny because recently somebody asked me how um, the people in my life feel about me writing about them, and I only recently started writing something about my wife. Mm-hmm. Um, I pretty much didn't have her in my story, my current wife, okay. um, before. And she, she said that it was cathartic for her, that it was, Aww. you know, to see... Um, what I wrote about um, our interaction. That's so wonderful. I find that sometimes when you're you're writing, you're just getting something out, a draft, a personal draft. Um, It makes you think about something differently, and then you go back and you tweak it, and it it just helps uh, with your internal mindset, your your inner world. It really does. Uh, I, I Many times I'm kind of chewing over something in my mind and then when I finally am able to sit down and write about it um, it definitely takes me to a different place that that kind of reflection that you have and sometimes you it's different when you're writing about it in the moment and then when you go back perhaps even years later and write about something um, maybe you're going back and editing it but it, it things become much more clear yes um, and it's it's a wonderful feeling um, the reflective quality that you get with memoir right. I, I I used to beat myself up because I waited so long to write certain things and but as you get older your voice changes you know your writing voice. I I think that's true. It's interesting. I did find something that I wrote when I was uh, fourteen or something, and there was some of the voice that I have now. But absolutely, your voice changes as you get older, and I, I think um, it's great. To, to be able to go back way later and look at uh, and, and write about something that happened many, many years before. 
Um, and it's real tricky, too, to be able to capture some of that voice of who you were then, but from the, the kind of the desk of now, who you are now, looking back. Um, I, I, don't know yeah. if you, I don't know if you're like this, but I looked back at something I wrote when I was 15, and I, was, I had this amazing creative writing teacher, and I was writing these very deep things about how sometimes a relationship is long overdue to end, and it's like a worn-out blanket or a raggedy teddy bear. That, so, so you wrote about... You, I was 15. <laughs> what, do you, what did you think about that when you wrote that? Because that is so profound. <laughs> um, you know, I was just getting my thoughts out there, but now I look back and I think, wow, where was that coming from? <laughs> I mean, where did that depth... Uh, yeah, I do sometimes look back at what I wrote and I think, like, how did... Similarly to things that my son said when he was little and, and poetry that he wrote when he was young. Like how do young people come up with sort of this old soul kind of um, quality to their writing and to their thinking? It's really amazing. The only so thing... Yes, I, I, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, I was going to say the only <laughs> thing I can say is because my teacher gave me such freedom to just say whatever it is I wanted to say and there was no judgment. That is really beautiful to have a teacher like that who you can look back and say she really helps you embrace your voice. And, and if you, I, I re, you know, I, you see the opposite often happening where people will tell, talk about how a teacher, when they were very young, said, oh, you can't write. <laughs> exactly. Okay. Just crush their ability. So for you to have that kind of teacher, I had a few teachers like that as well. Um, in fact, I have a fourth grade teacher who was both very supportive around the writing and also um, at a very rough time um, in our school. There, there was a lot going on racially, politically, um, and she kind of made our classroom a safe haven and also really encouraged kind of ethnic pride. Um, I was very self-conscious because um, I wasn't black or Asian, as most of the other kids were, which, mm -hmm. you're Jewish, that's okay. <laughs> yeah. So uh, let's dive into your book. Um you mentioned that uh, there was a burning boat. You were you were traveling. Could you talk about that? It's the foundation of the yeah. the book. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so I was on a lifeboat in the middle of the Mediterranean. I'd gone away after um, breaking off an engagement and having to terminate a pregnancy, um, a very agonizing decision. And so I got on a boat. I, I went off on a trip thinking, you know, I'll go away. I'll figure, you know, I'll reflect on what's happened, and maybe I'll come back and try to have a child on my own. Um, so I was on this boat, and it was going from Bari, Italy, to Greece, and we were woken up in the middle of the night and huddled onto lifeboats, and it was just, the scene was completely chaotic on deck. Everybody had been really beautiful, like a movie the night before with all the kids and the dogs huddled together, but the next day... Um, it, it was as if the sailors, who mostly only spoke Greek, had never um, used lifeboats before. And um, it was just like the movies, women and children and, and dogs on the lifeboats. Uh, that was kind of interesting. So some of the, the men were staying on board on the ship and the dogs on the lifeboats. And, um, and we were on this lifeboat, and everyone was crying and crossing themselves. And uh. the only people not crying, I wasn't crying, and there was a, a woman comforting her baby. I was thinking, well, it might be as good a time as any. It's been a pretty good life. And, you know, I was just sort of feeling accepting that that might be my time. 
Um, and then I looked over at the mother who was comforting her baby, and I just started crying because I realized if I, I would die, then that would be my biggest regret, never having had a child. So I like to tell my son I got off a burning boat to, to go have you. Oh, my gosh. That's amazing. Was it hard to write that story, to start your book the way you did? Uh it actually seemed like the most logical point, but every time I talk about that or write about it, I forget that it actually wasn't just a cute story. It was pretty traumatic. So when the movie Titanic came out, I went to see it with my niece, and I remember she held my hand. But I was really holding her hand because it, it was pretty traumatic, and I did go through a brief period. I wish it had been my whole life, but I went through at least six months with that kind of Titanic effect where you're living each day as if it, it were the last, and oh you really God. appreciate being in the present because you're alive. Uh, tell me a little bit, without giving too much away in the book, tell me about how you were able to structure this book. Well, uh, it's structured as um, linked essays. And the essays are, very, some are very different in style, so some are very narrative. They're, it's like reading a chapter. Um, they do form a story arc as a whole, so it's not an essay collection. They, they make a whole story together. Um, some are in very alternative form, list form. Um, when I'm writing about, for instance, um, things that happened to my black son as he got older and um, people started treating him differently, being a, a young black man, um, and the fears that I had around police violence. Um, and there's another story, there's another essay that's written as a riff on what to expect when you're expecting. It's a mock chapter called What to Expect When You're Expecting the Teenage Years When Molly is Not a Schoolgirl. Um, and it has to do with drugs and um, teens. Um, but it, it, it kind of looks a little fun at the quality of um, this happens and this is the tone of what to expect when you're expecting. Uh, so together, they're not all in chronological order necessarily, um, but together they form a whole story. I love, I love the reason I asked is because I really appreciate this kind of writing. I did the National Novel Writing Month, and I just kind of blasted out all of these short stories that didn't have to kind of flow together, but they, they painted a picture. And one of yours, The Year of Eating Banana Splits, Food Makes Me Sick. I'm just going to read this little paragraph. Between the ages of 30 and 50, I couldn't eat when I was unhappy. Anything but fruit and yogurt smoothies and chocolate malts would turn my stomach and make me feel as if I was cramming cake, uh, Cancun cockroaches down my throat. Those smoothies were the only thing I could shuttle down my digestive system during periods of cranked-up stress and anxiety. Food, eating, and cooking were things I associated solely with happiness. For the most part, hunger for me meant that I felt happy. I'd, lo I'd lose my appetite and then lose weight, sometimes a lot, when I was unhappy. I'm the same way, and that really hit home for me. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So that's kind of what I hope for in my writing, that it resonates with someone and that you feel that connection. Yeah. I definitely had a relationship with food where when I was feeling content and in my life, um, I liked to eat a lot. Right. Um, and I would, t yeah. And you had the same thing, huh? But when you're you're feeling a lot of stress and life is really difficult, you completely lose your appetite. Yeah, yeah. That yeah. And I was glad you you shared that because it's important. I think a lot of people are 
they're emotional eaters. There's a lot of different relationships with food. And mine was, especially when I was younger, was junk food. I just would, you know, indulge in things that weren't good for me. But that was like when things were calm, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. What well, was a real change for me um, when my son started cooking, when he was, I think, 12 or 13, and he decided that he would be the cook of the house, and he cooked these amazing banana nut muffins with this little tributary of um, brown sugar and butter and cinnamon floating through. And I remember uh, I, he, I was in charge of cleaning up and putting on music while he, when he was the cook. And I remember putting on something like Here Comes the Sun and just my life had changed drastically. Our blended family had unblended. Um, The economy had changed. Things were very, very different. I'd gone from being able to make a good living to my son being on free lunches. But when, you know, as I was eating those banana nut muffins fresh out of the the oven and and I was actually able to eat and enjoy, I felt like, you know what, this isn't exactly the life I thought I'd have, but this is a really good life. That's perfect. So, unfortunately, we have to wrap, but just can you give out where people can find you? Yeah, uh, you can find me at Carla Samet, S-A-M-E-T-H dot com. And for those of you in the L.A. area, I'll be reading at the last bookstore um, book launch this Wednesday um, at 7.30 p.m. Fantastic. Thank you so much. Congratulations, congratulations on your book, One Day on the Gold Line, Carla Samet. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Janine. It's been a pleasure. Thanks. Take care. Bye-bye. You too. Bye. All right. So um, if you missed any part of that, everything will be up on my show blog. We're going to take a mini break, and then I have one more guest calling in. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. (laughs) 